Hey, we want to thank everybody for blessing the boxes. You know, blessing is more than just a little religious symbol. But what we just did was that we invoked God's good on these boxes. And in doing that, that will travel with those boxes. And so more than just what's in the box will be a part of that, but the blessing that you sent with it will also go so thank you for blessing these boxes. And I want to thank everybody who helped us put them together. That was a huge thing as well. That was wonderful. And for all the work we did in the yard. Last thing before we move forward, we have a number of new leaders in the life of our church. We had elections last week as a church, and so we were able to have folks doing that as well. But we also want to bless our leaders. So I want to just recognize you have a list of names in the bulletin of folks who were elected and some who are returning to their service of worship. And I won't uh, call people out here, just, uh, but just we know who we are. And we are excited about a new season of leadership in the life of our church. And so we ask for your blessing upon our leaders as they serve us in some new ways coming up in the next year of ministry together. So I'm excited about that. I have the opportunity to read to you scripture this morning, and then we'll have a treat for you here, and then we'll continue in our teaching. But the uh, scripture that I will read from is taken from John's Gospel, chapter 4, and it will start in verse 19. And as always, I invite you to hear these words of scripture with the ear of your heart. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is of the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. Will you please pray with me? Almighty God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We also thank you for the gift of the volunteers who are saying yes to the calling that you have laid upon their hearts to serve us as a church, as elders, as trustees, as deacons, and in the different roles that are on our board. So God, we bless them. We as a congregation ask that each one of them would know deeply within their hearts that you love them, that you cheer for them, that you're rooting for them as they step into these very important roles of service in the life of our church. We want to ask you, Father, to just empower and grace them and give them the resources they need so that in every way they lead us, we may be blessed as a congregation and the fruit would be for something you would be, be delighted by and that it would bless the community that we live in. So bless each one of our new leaders and bless us now as we think about your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. You know that the last number of weeks, we've, I've asked a different individual in the congregation to share a little bit about the particular discipline we're doing, and I usually do it at the end of my message. This morning, I'd like to do it at the beginning, so I'm going to invite Jack Covert forward, 
And Jack, may I tell them why I'm inviting you at the beginning? Is that okay with you? Yeah, just Jack's wife Patty had kind of a scare last night and was in the hospital, but she is home now feeling good. But we're going to do this now so Jack can get home to Patty right away and ask your prayers for Patty this, that she would continue to feel well. But we're talking about worship today, and I asked Jack, because I've experienced Jack's worship ministry in a number of different ways, if you would just share with us a little bit of what worship means to you personally and I see your guitar is here, too, so I think that might mean something good for us as well. But anything you would share about what worship means to you personally, Jack? Well, basically, I feel that there are, in my mind, three, three things that come to my mind when I think about worship. And the first is the preaching of God's word. And uh, the Bible says, how, how shall they hear without a preacher? And you folks have a good one here. He's a good friend of mine, and he, he does a good job. So we're, we're glad that uh, we have a good preacher in Rob. Yeah. I also think that uh, worship must involve the Holy Spirit. Mm. And I think that in my mind, we need to pray more for that mm. in our worship. Mm. That, that's to me, that's Thank you. what it's all about. If worship's yes. gonna be, really be true worship, it's gotta be led by the Holy Spirit. Amen. And my third point is I think music is important in worship. I. Uh, I know King David in the Old Testament even, he made, I'll paraphrase this, he said, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God as long as I have my being. Wow. I don't know what psalm that is, but I know it's there. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so I feel that uh, those three things in my mind are, to me, what's important to worship. No. Thank you very much. And boy, it'd be fun if we could have an example of that from a guitar, possibly. <laughs> All right. spectacles on so I can see the roads and words. This is a song of my own. I hope you, I'd like to share it with you. And I told Rob that if I'd had my guitar last Sunday, I would have done this song because I thought of it when he was talking about service. And this is called A Servant's Heart. And I hope you enjoy this. <clears throat> How would you answer if he were to ask you today, do you have the heart? My guitar strap broke. <laughs> if you don't mind, I'll sit down and do this. Okay, yeah? Yeah, thank you. Old to stand up anyhow. <laughs> it didn't break, it just came loose. Thank you. I'll start over again. How would you answer the Savior if he were to ask? Well, 
Thank you very much. Jack, thank you so much for making time for us today and blessings on you and Patty as you guys step into this week. Healing blessings for Patty. Thank you, Jack. So, oh, well, it's, I feel like we should close in prayer. That's really all we needed, isn't it? That was so rich. So, but we're, yeah, hey, a short service? That's exciting. So, so tempting, isn't it? Okay, I'll be brief. I hear you. So worship is yet another one of these things that we do to follow Jesus. And uh, worship is one that we are familiar with, and it's important. And I mean, yeah, Jack's message was sort of on the spot, and that would be what we want to say. I always like to cast it in the light of the common concerns of our day. And so I want to cast it in the light of what kind of preoccupies us, which is distraction. We live in an age of distraction. And so... By way of example, I wanted to list a few common distractions and maybe ask you if you have a few common distractions. What are the things that maybe when you're just, you don't have the energy to get really sort of maybe directed one way or another, what, what do you use to distract yourself? And so I have the Butler Eagle up here. I like the Butler Eagle. don't mean to put it down by referring to it as a distraction, but I might read the newspaper if rather do that. That's one common distraction. Um, social media, um, anybody just do this. So we do the little bit of this at our house, you know, and you can sort of get lost in it all, and there's just things there you can find to see and think about. Um, what about video games? Anybody have those? Anybody play video games? And again, video games are not all bad. We have a lot of activity around video games in our home. And I, can, I have a little one on my phone that I distract myself with sometimes. I got a couple of expressions when you all said that. But So you see, this happens, right? So that's one way of doing it. How about watching sports? <laughs> That's like one of the ultimate pastimes. And of course, you know, here's a particular moment that everybody recently remembers. We just can get some emotional energy right there just from looking at that one. So sports is can often a distraction as well. And then other things that are probably far healthier distractions, but they're not really distractions, is things like, hey, I like to do things with my hands. And as I do things with my hands, I actually can create something good. I'm told somebody 
um, knitted something in Melanie's Bible study through the course of it here over the last several weeks. So that's, I think, a glorious thing to do as you're doing something else. Um, maybe, maybe watching the Steelers is too, but who's to say? So what we're dealing with, we're dealing in the realm of attention span. And uh, does anybody know the current statistic that research has said? The, how many seconds, and it may surprise you that it's seconds, but how many seconds do researchers say is the current human attention span? <laughs> You're in the range. It's eight. I have to say it again, right, because we're done. Eight seconds. Hey, did you know? No, sorry. No, but it's... We're, you remember Dory in uh, Finding Nemo? We are there now, you know? It's a... Uh, yeah, I need to remind you again. And Melanie and I were at a conference, and somebody who was at one of the tables for uh, representing a ministry was telling us, you need to change all your ministries because you have to update everything you're doing every eight seconds. And I can remember Melanie just going... Where would we even begin to do that? I mean, it's just stunning, the uh, current attention span of human beings. And so what are some of the reasons it's like that? Um, One of the reasons, obviously, is because there is a glut of information that wasn't available to us when most of us were children. You know, whether it's internet, social media, it's just really difficult now. There's so many other things that are available to pay attention to, and I listed some of them right there as we walk through it. Also... There is, let's just say, there's certain things that are easier to pay attention to than other things, you know? Let's agree that I sometimes just would like, you know, Sunday afternoon, I'd like to just turn the Steelers on and take a nap. I'd just like to do that. That would be great. And naps are fine, right? If anybody else is having a nap, I hope it's a good one for you today. But it's, um, what you have, though, is a world in which it's so tempting to turn off the capacity to attend to something. And one of the reasons we do also is because we human beings need to have a little bit of mental downtime. We call that dissociation, if you know the terms. And dissociation means I'm suspending myself a little bit from my memory and stuff like that. You're not thinking about things. We also know from psychologists that if you have experienced any kind of trauma in life, that you need a little bit more of that downtime and a little bit of away time from the things that are constantly barraging your thinking. You know, if you've been watching our promotions, we're going to have a bunch of people, 13 people, we're so excited about this next weekend, go with Melanie and I to a spirituality center down in McCandless Township. We're going to do a 24-hour silent retreat with them. And some of you are doing that with us, and we're really excited about that. Some of you are like, that sounds like a form of torture. Why would you do that to yourself? But one of the reasons we are considering doing that and want to make that a regular opportunity for those who would wish is because it does take time to just get back to you. There's so much time. And if there really is this God in the universe who is pursuing you, How do we pay attention to him? And hard to pay attention to him if I'm not even aware of me. And so that's when we talked about the role of solitude in that. And so so we think these are important things so that we just take some time to do that. Now, when we are in healthy environments, whatever that looks like, where the distractions are manageable and we feel like we can think about the things we want to think about, and we're in that environment, where God is with us, that's 
called worship. And worship is this beautiful thing that happens when I allow myself to become aware of God, His presence, His work, and His, the, in His unique personhood. And we get to love Him and adore Him. And we use aids like music and having a beautiful space and setting aside special times. But worship really is more than just what we do at church. It is, of course, the whole of our lives. We want to live in that environment with God. And in fact, it turns out the reason why distraction is so effective in our lives is because we're craving, actually, to be in the presence of God. We don't actually work right unless we are. The truth is, worship is the gas that the car of me runs on. And if you put water in my tank, and not gas, you'll see the effects, right? And they won't be good. So we just want to think about it from the standpoint that Jesus, while he was on earth, made worship a priority personally, and we want to follow him. So we want to talk about what that looks like. Let me give you a quick description of worship. Here is the description. Worship is acknowledging and celebrating the persons, the presence, and the work of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That means when we think of them, something positive comes for you and for me. Like we go, oh yeah, that's great. We want to think about them. We want to tell of the good things that they've done. In our home, when the kids were little especially, we would read to them a lot of the great good versus evil stories in the Bible. And if you have little kids, I recommend that. Just to go into Samuel and read about David's mighty man and see what can be done with the jawbone of a donkey. You know, it's just, it's remarkable. And it just, it stays with them because it has that strong moral framework to it. And so my kids got to slowly learn, you know, God is the God who empowered David to slay Goliath. You know, God is the God who brought good out of a bad situation, gave Samson the strength to bring down the temple on the Philistines. These powerful images of whoever God is, we can tell stories about his actions in history. And as we tell the stories, something happens inside of us. Just like if you think about the things that you enjoy so much. And I do think about our two acts of service we had this week. They both really energized me. Um, When we were um, packing these I mean, we all show up, and a couple of people got there early, and they're like, you know, wonder if who's going to come, and you know, you wait, and they have a big group come, and then how long would you think it would take to pack these? We did it in like a half an hour. Isn't that crazy? So do you hear the excitement in my voice? So what, I, what am I doing is I am celebrating God's mighty act among us. That's worship. If I remind myself that that leads all the way back to God, drawing his people together to do that. So worship always involves that. Um, Paul, when he wrote his letter to the Romans, wanted to explain to them not only what worship is, but what it looks like when we don't worship. And so he begins by describing the current cultural situation in the Roman Empire, and he says it's a world that doesn't acknowledge what it knows about God. And so this verse, Romans 121, says, For although they knew God, very interesting beginning, And when it says they knew God, one of the things that we have to kind of step back and acknowledge again and again is every human being who has ever lived, according to Scripture, has an innate sense of two things about God. 
One is that he exists. And two is that he has sort of a divine position, like that he is something other than human. Whether you were born in a culture that teaches these things explicitly, or whether you were part of the third world and never heard that explicitly, that understanding is wired into the framework of every human being. So we all have a clue, for lack of a better term, a rumor. There's something bigger. There's something wonderful. And we all have the invitation to work on whatever the clue is. And we could tell many, many stories about missionaries and what happens in third world cultures that are stunning and glorious the way God reveals himself, particularly to people who don't get a first opportunity like you get here at church to hear the good news in an organized way. But we have a knowledge of that. But rather than following the clue, what Paul says we often do is we don't allow it to amaze us. We don't allow ourselves to be grateful for it. Glorifying has to do with amazement. Giving thanks has to do with gratitude. We're coming into a season of gratitude, right? This is a great season where we remember with our loved ones all of the great things that go on. We talked about amazement. It has an effect on me physically. Yes, I'm excited. Look at all this work in a half hour. I also feel gratitude, right? Anytime you, when we got done with our work yesterday, you know, we get here and we're all like, okay, it's a lot of leaves, you know, how's it going to go? And then slowly different people at different amounts of time came and donated their time and their equipment and their efforts. And then it, when I drove in today and I just looked, I just felt, ah, doesn't that yard look nice? So do you see, there's an embodiment to gratitude, just like there's an embodiment to amazement. So what that means is you and I were made in such a way that we worship. We're going to worship something all the time. Your body is hardwired for worship. You're going to be amazed. You're going to be grateful. The question is, what is it going to be for you and for me? What are, what is, what are we going to let ourselves be amazed by? And as we get in touch with that space in us, and we get in touch with, hey, it's God, we begin to long for more and more of him. Uh, Jack was referring to psalms written by David. Here is another one that David wrote one day, that he was missing God. He said, and we're going to sing this later, as the deer pants after the waters. And some of you don't have positive views of deer right now, but that's fine. As the deer pants for the waters. So my soul longs after you. My soul longs for you, just like an animal that hasn't been near nutrition is longing for life. A number of years ago, I got to take a short, I take periodic little retreats when I can to just reconnect with the Lord, and just that, that's a high priority for me. And I went to an Airbnb up north on the Allegheny River and got to spend a couple of nights there by myself. I got all settled, got everything in the room, sat down and just thought, you know, okay, I'm just going to try to be. This is kind of like what we'll try to do at the silent retreat next weekend. Just going to try to be and not let the, when the distractions come and they'll always come, I can do that later. Just focus on that mental self-control and just as I do that, trusting that the Lord will meet me. And this particular time, what came was hymn and worship songs and more hymns and more worship songs. I grew up in the house of the 
family, the church pianist and organist, and so my mind is hardwired with a lot of these old songs. So I just started singing. And I feel bad for the owners of the B&B, because I sat in that room and I sang and I worshiped easily for three hours. And when I got done, I said, that's weird. Why did I just do that? I don't normally do that. But again, I think it harkens back to the reality that we are hardwired for worship. And as we surround ourselves with the reality of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, their mighty acts on our behalf and their real tangible presence with us right now, we wire up correctly. Ah, this is me, and that's God. This is so, so worship, so important for us. Next, I would want you to know that Jesus worshiped. We are following a master who made all these activities that we've been talking about all fall a big priority in his, our, his life. So we want to make them priorities in our life. And that is the conversation that we see Jesus having in this passage in John 4, where he's speaking with a woman from Samaria. And the woman, she is from a different ethnicity than Jesus. And at this particular time in the history of the unfolding of salvation, most of the work of salvation had taken place only with God's chosen Jewish people. It had not yet really effectively opened up to the whole world. And so this Samaritan woman was sort of sitting on the outskirts of salvation. And so she's saying, you know, we have our own understanding of places and how to worship. And Jesus said, you know, you have your own understanding of that, but you don't know it rightly. This came out of the ethnic group that I was a part of, the Jewish people. This is a new reality for them to figure out. They are just trying to figure out who Jesus is. But Jesus is, we understand this. You, I go back to that slide. We worship what you do not know. The idea here is, my idea of God will frame my worship. So if I say to you, God, what comes to your mind? And if you've been around a while, you know I do this all the time because it's one of the most important things about us is what comes into your mind when you think of God? Do you think of a harsh taskmaster? Do you think of like the soup Nazi in Seinfeld? No soup for you. Do you, or do you, do you think of Santa Claus? I can get anything I want from him if I play him right and sit on his lap and bat my eyes at him. You know, there's all these ideas that run around out there that are not accurate pictures of the one true God. So what comes to our minds when we think of God is so very important. Does it lift our spirits? Does it excite? Does it cause us to tell the great stories of him? I was thinking of that on... Uh, the um, Veterans Day that we just celebrated on Monday, last Monday, Samuel and I went out to see the movie Midway. Has anybody seen that movie yet? It just came out. First class movie, um, giving a wonderful depiction of the events of the Battle of Midway that took place shortly after the attack on Pearl Harbor in 1942. And without going into too much of the plot, just Sam and I, when we go see a movie that has powerful scenes of you know, what are depicted as sort of good versus evil and that sort of thing, and watching how things actually played out, the stakes that were there, if this doesn't go the United States' way, you know, the whole tide of the Western Pacific Theater would have gone very differently. And all of the heroic acts that allowed, and heroic acts on the part of the Japanese as well, that allowed that battle to come forward in the way that it did, and then for the United States to prevail in it. 
There is something about heroism, about high stakes, about risking your life for a good cause that, again, it engages us. And it helps us to know the reality of something and to say, that's awesome. That's good. And now I've got, it. I've got a clear picture of good and evil in my mind. And again, that's something that when we know accurately the details of something, that helps us with. And that's one of these things that this movie did, because it was advertised as we're going to incorporate details of what actually happened in the battle that have never been put on screen before. And so as we come to know more about the reality of things, we can celebrate the goodness of them far easier. So Jesus could tell stories in the Bible like that, because he knew his father. And he wanted us to understand his father. It's hard to think about God because, of course, God doesn't have a body, right? God is spirit. That's something that Jesus says to the Samaritan woman in this passage. So how are we to understand him? Jesus told story after story about who God was and what his kingdom was like. The kingdom is like a, a beautiful pearl you'd find on the ground. The kingdom is like a farmer going out to scatter seeds. And people maybe don't understand these abstract concepts, but seeds, I get that. A pearl, oh yeah, that's valuable. I want to know more about that. So Jesus would use things we knew as clues to draw us into these deeper things that we didn't know. So Jesus worshiped and he drew us into it. And lastly, worship has a learning curve. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And again, the invitation is constantly there for you and for me to know more of what the truth is about who Jesus is. Worship, as Jack told us, involves things that we do here together. It can involve singing, but it doesn't have to involve singing. Worship can be a part of your time here at church, but worship can also happen in the car, right? Worship can be a part of, you know, things that we remember when we come together, but we can worship alone as well. These are all really important things. And the more that we know those really important things, we're appropriately responding internally to the work of God. As I says, I close, let me share one story, because this is an example, I think, of how worship helps us understand reality. When our minds are so full of good ideas about God, and when I say that, I'm not saying it's okay to have a complaint. The book of Psalms is pretty much a complaint department about God. It's people saying, you're not quite running the universe right. And we're filing our complaints here. So there's no saying don't complain. But what we're saying is, take the good things we know and apply them to our lives. We had a men's Bible study the other night, and we were talking about the importance of faith. And I showed the group this passage. It's a notoriously difficult passage to understand. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. And if you know the story, these is the first brothers in human history, Cain and Abel. They're way back at the beginning. And Cain happens to be more of a tiller of the ground. He loves the grass, and he's growing things. Abel has animals. He cares for the sheep. And so ancient worship, the activity of worship, meant you offer it to God. It's not how we do it now in the same way, but back then it meant you brought something of your creation and offered it and said, this is what I think of you, I'm willing to give this to you. Now, if you read the text, and we were reading it together, because I asked the guys, why did God accept Abel's offering and not Cain's? 
our conversation was fascinating because it was like, well, Abel obviously gave a better offering. That was one of the ideas we threw around. You know, he, maybe he bow-tied it and he had extra bells and whistles and things on it. No, we have not, that's not in the text. We don't see that his is any better than Cain's. Uh, maybe it was because, you know, Abel kind of talked to God on the side and said, look, you know, if you bless my offering, I'll do a lot for you in this world. I'll, I'll be great for you. No, we don't have that either. There's no manipulation or anything like that. And also, it's not because God's up in heaven with dice. Going, I don't know, flip a coin. Abel. It's Abel I'm blessing. So if it's none of those reasons, why on earth did God bless Abel's offering but not Cain's? Yes! So what does that mean when we say that Abel had faith? And then we all were just, oh, what do we mean by this? What is, it, what is the substance? What was it that Abel was trusting God for? And we thought about how simple it really was, other than to say, Abel and Cain are living in the earliest primeval world. They, there's not a lot to know about God yet in terms of civilization, but they get to wake up every day into the beauty of this world. They get to see that the ground grows plants for eating and that the animals can eat those and be healthy. And so they simply thought, that's God. And apparently not in Cain, but in Abel was the heart to say, you know, if I take a little bit of this and offer it to God, I bet that that will be a delight. Abel anticipated blessing. Cain, as we see pretty quickly, has a different inner world because he will respond by what? He murders Abel. I mean, good grief. But clearly, Cain's inner world is, you better come through for me or else. Whether Abel's inner world reminds me of how many of you as parents hang artwork of your children up in your home. We all got some of our kids' artwork or did at one point. Now, do we do it because we think we need to save these because someday they'll be worth millions of dollars? <laughs> Nobody raised their hands, right? So we obviously have a reason other than I got a budding Rembrandt on my hands here, you know? It is because we delight in the creation of those that we love. That's who God is. You bring him an offering, his first reaction isn't going to be, well, there's no bow on it. No, he's the same way you are when a child comes up to you and says, look what I made. That's God. And that's, in essence, what Abel believed about God. And so it becomes counted to him as righteousness. So do you see the connection with worship? Is as we see God for who he is, we go, oh, there's really somebody in heaven who wants that from me today? I want to be with that person. I want to live like his little kid all day long and know that I can be safe and trusted, trust him because he's going to care for me and care for my family. So again, we come to God as his kids. We come anticipating goodness from him, just like we sang this morning in our first song, goodness and mercy. And that is the heart of worship. And when we have that heart, it allows us to remember the joy of being his children. And it can, that's the environment in which our minds are made to live. And now we don't want to be distracted. Now my little video game on my phone doesn't seem so interesting to me. I want my life to be lived in the presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you want that, will you say amen? 
Amen. Thank you. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for who you are, and thank you that Jesus taught us that the little children mattered so much to you, Father, and that we're all children of yours in one way, shape, or form. Help us to have the hearts of children who trust you and who know that if we bring things to you, you will delight in us in the same exact way that when little children bring things to us, we delight in as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.